Good morning. Welcome this second Sunday of Easter to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. Whether you are a long-term member, a first-time visitor, or somewhere in between, we're glad you're here today. Today we begin a new phase of our worship services. Masks are recommended but not required. If you wish to sit in a section where more people will be wearing masks than not, we invite you to sit on this side. If you wish to sit in a section where uh, fewer people may be wearing masks, that side. Um, but either way, it's no longer um, uh, required, just simply recommended. As always, we invite you at this time to silence your phones and, of course, to be seated where you feel most comfortable. In spite of all we have heard and all we have seen, it is often hard to believe. Because it is hard to believe, we will invest ourselves in the Easter mystery for 50 days. John's gospel will provide sign after sign celebrating Jesus' victory over death. The risen Jesus will return to us again and again in the mystery of Holy Communion, inviting us to touch and taste his presence and offering us peace. Of course, the difficulty sometimes is not how difficult it is to believe, but what beliefs one holds, especially with regard to life beyond the grave. This morning we explore near-death experiences. How do they compare with Scripture? Can we characterize Christ's death as one? Or did the earliest Christians encounter something fundamentally different in his resurrection. We invite you at this time to rise as you are able for our gathering hymn. Good Christian friends rejoice and sing number 385 in the red hymnal.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the, whole, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord.
Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God of life, reach out to us amid our fears with the wounded hands of your risen Son. By your Spirit's breath, revive our faith and strengthen us to be the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The first reading from the second Sunday of Easter. Peter has been arrested for proclaiming the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. His response to the charges of the high priest summarizes the early church's proclamation of forgiveness of sin through repentance, a reading from the book of Acts. When they had brought the apostles, they had them stand before the consul. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please join in reading the psalm responsibly as shown in your bulletin. Alleluia. Praise God in the holy temple. Praise God in the mighty firmament. Praise God with trumpet sound. Praise God with lyre and harp. Praise God with resounding cymbals. Praise God with loud clanging cymbals. Second reading from Revelation. The book of Revelation recounts a mystical vision of the risen Christ experienced by a Christian prophet named John. Here he describes Christ as a timeless redeemer, the beginning, present, and end of all time. A reading from the book of Revelation. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, 
the Almighty. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks, the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the source of life and resurrection, and from God's Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Is heaven for real? A case for the age to come. January 14, 1999. Dr. Mary Neal drowns while kayaking in Chile. After being dead for nearly 40 minutes, she returns to share her experience of heaven. November 14, 2004. Alex Malarkey and his father get into a nearly fatal car accident. Alex regains consciousness after spending two months in a coma. Thereafter, he shares his experience of going to heaven and meeting Jesus, which is eventually published as 
the boy who went to heaven. March 5th, 2003, three-year-old Colton Burbo has emergency surgery. In the months that follow, he tells his parents about the experience he had of going to heaven, the account of which would eventually be called Heaven is for Real, and get this, sell, and would sell for over six million copies. Several years later, it would be adapted to the big screen only to become the second highest grossing Christian film of all time. Critics have since blasted the heaven boom, or what Tim Chaley's, a pastor and blogger, calls heavenly tourism. The problem with this industry of tall tales from the other side, he says, is that it's cruel and unbiblical. Cruel and unbiblical. Why would God yank someone out of heavenly bliss by sending them back to earth, he asks. And why would anyone need additional proof concerning heaven beyond what the Bible tells us? Isn't the Bible enough? You dishonor God, Chaley's writes, with the fury of a biblical prophet. If you choose to believe what the Bible says, only when you receive some kind of outside verification. Jesus seems to be saying the same, the same thing in our gospel reading for today. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. So what does the Bible say? My problem with the critics of the heaven boom is not the stance they take against the industry of tall tales from the other side. It's, what they rarely, it's that they rarely address what the Bible actually says about near-death experiences. This leaves us with a big question. Does Scripture say we go to heaven after we die? And did anyone in the Bible ever return from heaven to share what it's like? Now, I used to think the authors of Scripture never spoke about near-death experiences because the people of the time did not have access, like we do, to modern medicine and its methods of reanimation, like cardiopulmonary resuscitation, or CPR. But I was wrong. Roughly half a dozen instances occur in Scripture where someone dies and then returns to life. Can you guess who these people are? Well, first and most obviously, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, too, the story of Lazarus, who came back from the dead after spending four days deep, deep in the ground, to cite an old Dave Matthews song. Jesus likewise resuscitated the daughter of Jarius, a leader of the synagogue in Capernaum, even though he tells Jarius that his child is not dead, but merely sleeping. The same miracle occurs in 2 Kings 4, where the prophet Elisha restores to life a young boy. Yet here's what's fascinating. In all of these accounts, we hear nothing from the formerly deceased about visiting heaven. Lazarus remains silent, 
as do the boy and the girl. Sure, the Apostle Paul talks about the mystical experience of being caught up in the third heaven and encountering paradise, but he was alive when that happened. Even then, in contrast to the accounts of Mary Neal or Alex Malarkey, he, quote, heard things that are not to be told and that no mortal is permitted to repeat. This leaves us with only one exception as to a report concerning the interim between life and death in the New Testament. Yep, you guessed it, Jesus. Incidentally, whenever my students at SPU now don't know the answer, I always tell them they can say Jesus and I'll give them partial credit. So Jesus. We have two accounts concerning what happened to Jesus during the period between his death and resurrection. The first appears in 1 Peter 3, 18 to 19, which tells us that after he died, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Tradition calls it, and I find this so fascinating, the harrowing of hell. The harrowing of hell where Christ brings salvation to souls held in captivity since the foundation of the world. The second reference to the interim between Jesus' death and resurrection appears in Ephesians 4, verses 9 through 10. It says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth and then ascended far above the heavens, filling the whole world with his presence like a sack of grain. Notice again that, short of going to heaven, we have no account regarding what Jesus experienced while there. Jesus aside, the most interesting story to me of someone in the Bible who comes back from the dead occurs in the Old Testament. Can you guess who it is? The prophet Samuel from 1 Samuel 28. Here we encounter a sorcerer who brings him back from the dead. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? He asks. Was that convincing? I practiced that. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? He asks. Referring by implication to Sheol, the subterranean abode of the dead where human souls, sometimes called shades, go to rest. The equation of rest with death also appears throughout the writings of Paul, the next stop in our investigation. To die, to sleep. Paul uses sleep as a euphemism for death. In 1 Corinthians 15, for example, he says that if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep have perished. Again, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep have perished. When you die, in other words, you sleep. You rest in peace. Now, sleeping seems a long way off from the itineraries of those who claim to have visited heaven after they die, doesn't it? Obviously, some people have out-of-body experiences we cannot explain. The Bible, however, largely remains silent on the subject. 
for its writers, especially Paul, to die, as Shakespeare's Hamlet puts it, means to sleep. Who knows thereafter what dreams may come? Will we wake up once we sleep deep, deep in the ground? That is the greatest hope of the Christian faith, that love can somehow conquer death itself. Sure, writers like the Apostle Paul speak of heaven, but notice what they say about it. In Philippians 3:19 to 21, for instance, Paul compares the eternal destiny of Christians to those for whom, and this is another quote, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame because their minds are set on earthly things. The citizenship of those who follow Christ, on the other hand, and this is again a quote, is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to his body of glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Did you hear that? Paul says nothing about going to heaven after we die although presumably our souls rest there in peace. Instead, the Savior comes from heaven to us. Why? Because as the firstborn of the dead, to cite Revelation 1.5, our second reading for today, he will transform us here. The world will be made anew. We will wake up on the last day what our siblings in the Orthodox faith call the eighth day of God's creation, when God, as Revelation 21 says, will form something new out of the old as the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. Our God will make the restored earth his home, the text adds, wiping every tear from the eyes, who have, from the eyes of those who have suffered over the ages. Only then will death be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things will have passed away. <laughs> you think a tour of heaven is the Christian promise? Think again. The promise of what dreams may come is much bigger in the book of Revelation. God plans to transform the entire cosmos. Wow. So what does this mean, practically speaking, for us? The biblical promise concerning the transformation of the world is not something that awaits us on the last day, simply, a day when God completes the work God began in Genesis 1. It starts now. Jesus' life and ministry inaugurated the kingdom of God. His death and resurrection introduced a power of renewal into the world, one in which we can participate on this side of the grave. Whenever we experience the renewal of our being, the self-affirmation of life, the ability to go on instead of giving up in the face of infirmity, chronic pain, despair, 
loneliness or grief, we glimpse the new creation that awaits its completion on the final day. And when we don't experience these things but want to experience them, we pray as follows. God, following Ephesians 3.16, grant that we may be strengthened in our inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith as we are being rooted and renewed and grounded in love. Help us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with the fullness of God no matter what the adversity. In other words, God, give us hope. Now, when it comes lastly to the death each of us must undergo, Jesus advises us not simply to believe, as our translation today indicates according to the Gospel of John. Instead, he invites us to trust. That's the meaning of the Greek word here. To trust in the face of what we do not know. When I die, I might say to myself, I will go to sleep. The lights will grow dim, and my consciousness will fade to black. But one day, one day, Perhaps after eons of timeless rest in God, the lights will come on again. God will awaken me to something new. Martin Luther once shared the following story. When the last day of the old creation arrives, he said, the spirit will come to me and whisper, Martin, it's time to get up. I'll say that a little louder. Martin It's time to get up. As with ordinary sleep, the great reformer would know nothing of time and its duration between his death and that moment, nor would he have embarked on a tour of heaven. Instead, he would have simply been resting peacefully. He would sleep. But then, in the twinkling of an eye, God promises to wake him to a new creation, What happened to Jesus in his resurrection will happen to Luther, and what happens to Luther will happen to each one of you. To die, to sleep, means more than perchance to dream. It constitutes, and I want you to hear this very closely, a prelude to a new world, to a new creation. All who sleep in the dust will be awakened This is the teaching of Paul. This is the hope of Luther. And this is God's promise to each one of you. The heaven boom is a bust. It's one thing to claim you've had an out-of-body experience. It's another to claim that in so doing, you got a tour of heaven, met the blue-eyed Jesus, or saw angels. The critics of the heaven boom are right. Quick trips to heaven and back are not biblical. They have no precedent in scripture. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul, were he alive today, would condemn the entire industry of tall tales from the other side as nothing short of blasphemous. 
And so our investigation concludes. Now we know what the Bible says or doesn't say when it comes to near-death experiences. I'd like to think, thanks to the guest we had last Sunday, that Sam Spade would be proud. Yet even critics of the heaven boom deserve criticism. While they rightly condemn every celestial itinerary out there as a hoax, and while they point out that some, including Alex Malarkey, have since admitted that their stories were lies, they still seem to think that heaven is a place to which we go and remain forever after we die. The New Testament, on the other hand, sees things differently. Heaven may be a layover. This is my favorite metaphor. Heaven may be a layover, but it's not the final destination. God promises something even bigger. God promises to raise us from the dust as part of God's new creation on earth. May we look for this resurrection that God promises. May we experience its renewing power in our faith. And may each of us cling to it when we die. Amen.
Let us confess the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Set free from captivity to sin and death, we pray to the God of resurrection for the church, people in need, and all of creation. Holy God, source of new life, equip your church as witnesses of your goodness to go and tell others of your abundant love, that they may believe that Jesus is our salvation and life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help renew our commitment to use resources responsibly and to live harmoniously with your creation. Inspire us to recognize and nurture signs of resurrection in the life in the natural world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Direct those who are given human authority to lead with humility and compassion. By your Holy Spirit, channel their attention toward serving those who are most in need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Uphold your children who cry out to you, especially those in Burma and Ukraine. Wherever people are overcome by the fear of death, breathe into them your life and peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Inspire those who lead your people in worship and praise with joyful motion and sound. Send us forth with praise that we cannot keep to ourselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For whom or what else would the people of God pray today? God of loving kindness, we pray for everyone who calls upon your name in the midst of distress. We pray for everyone gathered here this morning that you be with them in the face of whatever adversities they face and with them in whatever joys they experience. We especially pray this Sunday for Georgina, for Annie, for the Unseth family, for the family of Cameron, for Jessica and her parents, for John's friend, for Jewel, for Ken, Christine, the family of Sherry, for Betty, for David, for Sherry, for Almaz's mother and brother, for Jim, for Peter, Jan, 
Ben, Jean, Denny, Ruth, Carol, Barb, Mary, Barbara, Deb, Lee, and Hildy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Give us the words of your saints, who, like Thomas, boldly confessed your Son is Lord and God. With Jesus, our leader, empower us to live according to his ways. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In your mercy, O God, respond to these prayers and renew us by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, for the glorious resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. The true Paschal Lamb who gave himself to take away our sin, who in dying has destroyed death, and in rising has brought us to eternal life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, inspire us to work toward your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. All baptized Christians who seek a taste of the new and forgiven life in Jesus Christ are welcome to receive the sacrament. If indeed you wish to do so, take out your communable and uh, receive according to my direction. Christ is among us. Receive the bread of life. This is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. Let us pray. We give you thanks, gracious God, for the love you show us in this meal. Send us to bring good news to a hurting world and to proclaim your favor to all, strengthened with the richness of your grace in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated briefly for announcements. Again, welcome one and all this second Sunday of Easter to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. If you are visiting with us today, we are glad you're here especially, and we invite you to fill out a uh, pew card in the front. We also have prayer request cards in the pews as well. Nursery child care is live, but on volunteer support, we hope to be staffing the nursery soon, but until then, we need your help. So if you know of anyone who would be willing to help out with nursery care or uh, would be so interested in yourself, please reach out to Kathy Unseth. Ridwell uh, was going to visit us today in honor of Earth Day. Instead, uh, we'll be joined by Ridwell at a later time, possibly on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, for those of you who don't know what we do with Ridwell, Ridwell recycles items that are not taken by the city of Seattle. They began in Queen Anne with uh, just about six households. And today, I believe they serve over 50,000 in the greater Seattle area. They are making a big difference. And we can contribute in a small way by giving whatever recyclables we have, the city won't accept, uh, to Ridwell at our little um, uh, 
there's a receptacle with uh, a bunch of receptacles on a tray, uh, and they're in the narthex, the, the room outside the sanctuary. So please, if you have extra plastics, for example, or batteries you would like to dispose of, this can be one place to do that where they'll be recycled. A special thank you to Rich and Candy for hosting our forum this morning, Lutheran World Relief, Not Your Mother's Quilting Group. We saw poor Mark Opplinger get hit in the head with a box uh, based on a video that we saw. Um, and <laughs> what's that? And you live to tell about it, yes. And we, we saw it twice, actually. We were, we were so intrigued, um, but glad you're okay. And um, a special thank you to all who endured with patience my attempt to work the technology. We will continue to work on that. Our forum next week at 9 a.m. will be hosted by Pastor Tim Firetag of Trinity Lutheran in Everett. Tim will be speaking, us, speaking with us about reconciling in Christ, which as I see it is simply a way of of living up to our mission statement of proclaiming the love of God in Christ for every person. So please join us next week. That will be in the fellowship hall downstairs, 9 a.m., Pastor Tim. Uh, finally, on May 1st, we have the blessing of the quilts and kits, uh, so we invite you to, uh, to be present for that. And two last things. My discretionary fund is almost depleted, and for those of you who don't know, this is the fund from which I draw to help people with everything from rent to putting food on the table. It makes a big difference. So if you feel so uh, inclined or moved uh, and wish to contribute to that fund, please do so by writing a check out to Queen Anne Lutheran and, and then just put in the memo line, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. If not, you can also just make it out to me. Of course, that wouldn't be to Queen Anne Lutheran, and I will keep the funding for myself. Uh, totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, two last things really quick. We've had another hacker um, uh, this time uh, use Rich's name and Candy's name. Uh, please ignore those. You can always tell that they're, they're phony uh, in part by the bad grammar that they use. Uh, but Barb had to change the uh, members-only password portal on our website, and we have little cards now that have the new password on that, and I'll make those available in the Narthex if you're interested. Obviously, we can't post those uh, on the internet or we'll run into the same problem. So if you would like uh, the new password to our members portal, which among other things contains our church directory, uh, there will be cards out in the Narthex. Uh, lastly, I will be away at the Bishop's Convocation this uh, Monday through Wednesday, so I will not be having office hours on Tuesday. However, those hours will resume uh, this coming uh, Saturday. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Then let's close with the blessing. Please rise as you are able. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Our sending hymn in keeping with today's message, The Strife is O'er, The Battle Done, number 366.